Welcome to Daily Kosa's The Brief, our weekly show about politics. Here, we'll discuss the issues that are driving the news as we fight for a more progressive America. I am Marcos Molitsis, the founder of Daily Kos and your co-host, along with senior political writer Carrie Eleveld. If you want to join the conversation, we record the podcast live on YouTube and Facebook every Tuesday at 1.30 Pacific, 4.30 Eastern. Enjoy the show. Hello, everybody. Welcome to this week's edition of Daily Coast The Brief. I'm Marcos Molitsis. I'm here with Carrie Eleveld. And welcome as we check in on the November 2022 midterm cycle, which Carrie is starting to look more and more like we said it was going to look back when we were hanging out on that limb. Remember, we were out on the limb. Yeah. We were Everybody, we were on the limb. We Everybody were. was saying it's going to be a red wave. It's going to be it's going to be a typical midterm. And, and history says that midterms are tough for the party in the White House for reasons we've discussed already. It's a referendum on the incoming president and the party out of power is motivated. The party in power realizes that it's not really all that it's cracked up to be. You can't really deliver on all those promises on those campaign promises in our convoluted and divided American government system. So it it creates a sort of environment where it's tough to be the president and win a midterm election. And so it rarely happens, but it happens. It happened after 9-11 in 2002. And Carrie, it's going to happen this year, isn't it? We hope it's it's going to happen this year. I mean, let's just let's just temper a little bit. But given I mean, part of why we're. I mean, so pleased with where we are at the moment is that we spent six months of having mainstream media tell us it was a done deal and this was a red wave, right? So like, even if, let's just say, like, even if the Republicans, we, we keep the Senate, which hopefully we will, and the Republicans, you know, managed to regain the House, but only pick up like 10 seats or something, that is not the wave. I mean, I just want to say we have a good shot of keeping the house and that should absolutely be our goal. But even even like a 10 seat pickup by Republicans, that is not the wave that we were talking. They you know, we were going to Democrats were supposed were just shipped off. Like we it was done. It was over. That's what we've been told for 6 months straight at least. So Carrie, let me add a little bit of context. Everybody's heard on the right page. The Democrats have a very, very narrow lead in the Senate, the 50-50 Senate, with uh, with um, Vice President Kamala Harris casting the tie-breaking vote. Now, we have two difficult senators in Kirsten Sinema of Arizona, Joe Manchin in of West Virginia. So getting anything through is tough. There's also the issue of the filibuster. We need a 60 vote majority to pass most legislation. And that's something a majority party could do. But Kirsten Sinema and Joe Manchin refused to do so in large part because they have all the power, right? This, this makes them the power brokers and they don't want to give that up. In the House, we have a very narrow, I think it's down to a five seat, six seat, seven seat majority in the House. But uh, you need 217 seats in the House. And so Democrats are right on the edge. They have a very narrow majority. And again, in a typical midterm, you would expect that to to be erased. We just had this big redistricting process. So the Congress we see today is not the Congress we we are going to see next year. Democrats actually slightly improved their positioning in the redistricting process uh, around the country, not dramatically. We were we were also told that that was going to be a disaster for Democrats. We were told. That the redistricting process was going to be a disaster. It didn't turn out as it, for a while. It was looking pretty sunny for us, actually. But but uh, but you know, Florida so, came in. Right, exactly, <laughs> and 
And yeah. New York's redistricting uh, got got knocked down by a judge. So, you know, uh, but we're, we're still we were told that that was going to be a disaster and they were, and we were going to have no chance whatsoever. And that yeah. didn't happen either. And the House is still uh, gerrymandering still gives Republicans a clear advantage, to be very clear. But it, it is slightly eroded from what the current Congress looks like. So that's a general position. It's pretty much a 50-50 Senate, literally a 50-50 Senate, and essentially a 50-50 House. And so that's the environment we're walking into. And just to make things extra dramatic, all the major Senate races and many of the key House races are in 2020 battleground states, presidential states, which are going to be the 2024 battleground presidential states. I'm talking about Florida, Georgia, North Carolina, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Michigan, Arizona. Mm-hmm. Did I say Georgia? Mm-hmm. So that's Georgia. the same no, places. North Carolina. Did you say North Carolina? Yeah, I, I may, maybe I, mean, I, I should have written it down. Maybe. But uh, no, North Carolina, it was a three point Trump state. And it's it's demographically it it's uh, actually it doesn't look too bad for us it's it's right right it's one of those states that with the proper organizing the proper motivation the growth in those states is happening around the research triangle so it's college educated white people and I mean, college educated everything people but it's a college educated white people that we're hoping are leaning trending in our direction and we're seeing signs of that already not just in the polling but also in the early elections that have already taken place this year. We had 11 or 12, I think 12 House special elections. And we've seen that shift already where Democrats are outperforming the 2020 ticket by about six points on average. It's actually quite dramatic. So that's where we are today. And so now, Carrie, Republicans are, are already eating each other up because they're, they're, they're laying blame because this should have been a layup. This should have been the easiest cycle for them. Joe Biden's approval ratings are in the high 30s, maybe low 40s. It's creeping up, but it's he's not a popular president. And you have the, the inflation, you have gas prices, you have all that stuff. And they thought they had this thing. And suddenly they don't. And so they're all pointing fingers at each other and accusing each other. And Carrie, you said you wrote a piece and you, you, you said something that, that really resonated with me is that uh, Mitch McConnell has been trying to blame Donald Trump. He's been trying to blame Rick Scott. And we can talk about why in a second. But reality is that when you really look at the big picture, uh, Mitch McConnell is really part of the reason that Republicans are in this in these in this situation. And you said that he by giving up uh, leadership, he, he created a vacuum. That has then been filled by the likes of Donald Trump and Rick Scott. Would you like, uh, please elaborate on that? Because it's a fascinating concept. I really, really sounds good. Like, I like it. Sounds good. Sounds smart, doesn't it? It it? lands. (laughs) It lands. So, first of all, I mean, you know, they're out there pointing fingers. And Mitch McConnell is, because this isn't turning, this isn't looking like the election that was promised. It isn't the election they counted on. It isn't the election mainstream media counted on. And, you know, it's a competitive election is what it is. And it wasn't supposed to be that way. And and Mitch McConnell uh, wants to 
um, say that, you know, well, we're in the Senate, we're having trouble because of poor candidates, because, you know, Trump weighed in and got us these like ultra MAGA candidates and or mega candidates. And and Rick Scott was, you know, should have been recruiting better people. And, you know, in reality, McConnell was trying to recruit better people, too. And they were like, we don't want to be any part of your Senate. I mean, like, Chris, or they you know, lost in primary or they lost. Right. And, you know, Governor Chris Sununu is a perfect example in New Hampshire, a Republican that they deeply, dearly wanted McConnell to run because he was so popular, such a popular governor. He's a governor. There. Yeah. And yeah. And, and he, they wanted him to run for Senate and challenge Maggie Hassan, uh, the Democratic senator there. And, you know, he was like, I got the sense that they're just okay with doing nothing all the time. I mean, I'm paraphrasing, but he essentially said that in an interview and he was like, "Mm, nah, I'll take a pass on that. I mean, so anyway, it's this, I mean, my basic point in that piece was that Mitch McConnell has no one to blame, but himself. He has, he has been, he is just a total vacuum of leadership. He has left a total vacuum of leadership. And, you know, leadership abhors a vacuum, which is why you've seen Trump step into it. You've seen Rick Scott step into it. You've seen Lindsey Graham late recently with his, you know, 15 week abortion ban. Yeah, put a pin on that. But let's let's put a pin on that. But I I just can I just run down a couple of the things that Mitch McConnell has done? Yeah, that's what I wanted. That's yeah, exactly. So so it's, you know, it starts right away with the with the second impeachment for January 6th. I mean, McConnell clearly, by the virtue of the speech he gave, believed and said that Trump was responsible for that insurrection and that he was, you know, morally culpable for it. And yet he voted for acquittal and failed to lead, lead his caucus to vote for conviction. I still don't understand what he was thinking because there was there was a lot of hints that he this this could have it's like pulling that tumor out. He knew. Right. He knew. Oh, yeah. No, he could look. He could have put a dagger. He didn't. I am firmly believe that there were two that that was two sides of of a similar coin. Right. Which is same coin, which was number one. He didn't have the political juice to do it. He, he didn't. He, nor did he nor did he feel the conviction. He didn't feel the moral conviction to get rid of a guy or try to get rid of a guy. He didn't think it was worth his effort to put a dagger in Trump's political future by securing his conviction, right? He could have really tried for those, I think, what, 17 Republicans that he needed to vote um, in order in order to impeach Trump. And he didn't. He didn't really put his butt on the line to do that. But the other thing was, I think he, w- he was convinced that, you know, he could... Um, he could let Democrats sort of do the dirty work and that he he and the Republicans could, um, you know, he would have this stain of an impeachment try on him that his second impeachment, which actually, you know, he, he barely survives, but that he could, uh, you know, build have a coalition of voters that included Trump voters and you know, quote unquote, establishment Republicans, and that that would be a coalition that would be a winning voting coalition without getting eaten alive by Trump in 2022. And that was just a fundamental miscalculation. It was just, you know, he he even said he told one of the people, you know, there's so many people out with books now, but this was a pretty reputable journalist. And he told his consultants 
listen, Trump is a fading brand, right? He miscalculated and thought, not only am I not going to put my butt on the line for this because I don't think I have the political juice to lead my caucus in the right direction, but he also miscalculated on the other side that Trump was a fading brand, that he that he was, you know, that he used some thoroughbred term for it, you know, because the Kentucky Derby and the horses and all that stuff. But something about how he was an old, you know, an old horse and he was he was going down. And then and then, of course, Trump just, you know, has been wildly successful in essentially taking the party over in these primaries. So that was one thing. Then. He packed the Supreme Court, you know, with he 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 packed the Supreme Court. He tried to bend the nation towards his political will. He put three right wing extremists on the political court, um, one of them replacing, you know, uh, a justice, Ruth Bader Ginsburg after her after she passed. And, and then lo and behold, they're such extremists. They just went ahead and d- did away with 50 years of of uh, abortion law. The first chance they had, just like that, yeah. boom. And I, I want to just stress that that McConnell changed the rules on that Senate. He created this magical rule that you could not confirm a justice in the last year of a of a presidency when it was Obama's uh, nomination of Judge Garland, and then magically that rule got discarded within you know after um, within weeks of of the of the twenty twenty election. Yep. When so it it wasn't even that they had the the you know they had the majority and they had, he literally manipulated the rules in a way to steal a seat from Obama by creating a magical rule that didn't exist and then chucked that out the first chance he had four years later to do to ram through another one of of Trump's justices so yeah. that's the and then that's not even looking into the fact that Justice Kavanaugh they 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 didn't do a FBI investigation and they ran that through despite uh, myriad evidence that he was a serial sexual abuser assaulter. And so that's the, that's the create, you know, that's what got us this majority. It wasn't even like real politics or honest politics or not even cutthroat politics. It was real manipulation. He stole those seats. He, He stole those seats and he weaponized the court. He he made that court a GOP guided missile, and then they overturned Roe v. Wade and you know, gutted that. Yeah, like you ruling. said, not whittle away. They they yeah, after no. and all those justices said that it was settled settled, um, yeah. settled precedent law. and that they wouldn't mm-hmm. they wouldn't touch it. And the first chance they get, they all lied, Boom. and we wouldn't be in the place we were we are today now, Carrie. Had yeah. they just done the thing that that many of these Republican courts have done, just whittle away. Knock off yeah. another month or chip away here, chip away there. But they're well, like, that's, nah. because, that's because it's so radical. That's because the people he installed and the Republicans installed, the seats that they stole, the people they put in place are that radical. Those justices are that radical, right? That they couldn't whittle away at it. That's what John Roberts, Chief Justice John Roberts wanted to do was whittle yeah. away and, mm-hmm. you know, and not have this sort of cataclysmic end to reproductive freedom in the country so that slowly but surely it just, you know, like before you boiling, knew it. Yeah. Boiling how, frog yeah, boi- the boiling yeah. frog. How did this happen? Oh my gosh. But then, so, so he has, he has, he's pointing to candidate quality. Mitch McConnell is pointing to candidate quality as the reason that they're in trouble. No, the reason that they're in trouble is his lack of leadership. 
in one area, which was to, you know, to 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 extricate the Republican Party from the hold, the grip of Donald Trump to to put a a dagger in his political future through um, conviction during the impeachment trial. And then his 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 sort of brazen, you know, um, bending of of norms and um, and breaking of rules in order to install right wing justices. And then as Trump was you know, coming back from the political dead and starting to really uh, endorse, I mean, you know, different candidates like Herschel Walker for for Georgia, for the Georgia Senate seat and, you know, Dr. Oz for the Pennsylvania Senate seat and stuff like that. Mitch McConnell, you know, I mean, he he went ahead and he endorsed Herschel Walker, said he was a fine candidate and he was the only candidate that could unite Republicans in the state. The only one, you know. The the only one, you know, so like he he played along with the with this. I mean, and obviously didn't didn't, you know, he's like talk about a fading brand, you know, talk about (laughs) someone who's past his prime. He he's he wasn't able to get any of the candidates that he wanted to run. So now you've got mostly Trump endorsed MAGA extremists running. You know, you've got Blake Masters and in Arizona and you've got, you know, who JD Vance, who's just a complete poser in Ohio, but totally dangerous because he'll do anything. He'll, he'll bring Trump to Ohio for a rally for him and then stand there while Trump tells the audience that this candidate is kissing my ass in order to <laughs> like, I mean, really? I mean, is that the guy you're going to vote for the guy who's kissing Trump's ass, it, you know, in order to and- like win his election? So we have this sort of broader meta narrative for this entire cycle that we've been talking about for literally a year, which is that this year would be different because Donald Trump would still be on stage. So you can't have a referendum on the incumbent Joe Biden if if Joe Biden's not even center stage. It's Donald Trump. And also that that abortion, we knew this decision was going to come down and that that also would shake up everything. And it's so funny that you really look and McConnell's right at the center of both those things. Cause he could have, he could have, he could have cut off uh, Donald Trump. And there's a, there's a scenario where he does that and the base rebels and then they, they sort of suffer for one cycle, but then they're done. Yes. Right. It's like, it's like Watergate, right. You know, you, 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 you're in the wilderness for maybe, a, you know, one cycle or two, but then, then you come back. You're like, we're not, that's not, that wasn't us. We got rid of that, that, that joker. Uh, but there's a third thing, third leadership vacuum that you mentioned that it's also, I think, important because it's sort of a bonus. And and this is McConnell's refusal and the, the party's refusal to have any kind of um, any kind of policy uh, agenda. Right. So Trump threw that out. There was there was no Republican platform when he ran in 2020. In 2016, he basically took over the platform committee and, and stuck in a thing about screwing over Ukraine just to tie that into current events, but um, nobody knew why. And now eventually we found out why 2020 he threw, you know, he's like, yeah, whatever. And then Mitch McConnell said, I, I don't want anything to do with, with any kind of a jet pilot. Like, what do we stand for? Why do people need to know what we stand for? And yeah. so Rick Scott filled that void. Yeah. And, and Lindsey Graham, let's just be clear. Yes. I mean, this is just this hubris by Mitch McConnell. You know, they thought they had it in the bag. They thought they were going to run against Biden. They were going to run against inflation, high gas prices, et cetera. 
And and of course, what we're seeing now is it's not perfect, but some of that inflationary pressure is starting to ease a little bit, particularly on gas prices. Um, but you know, they so so they so he McConnell thinks he's going to have his cake and eat it too. He's going to be able. He's got a slam dunk against Biden and inflation, right? And an unpopular president, inflation rising, slam dunk. Also, in order to make good on this, you know, deal with the devil to get Trump's voters, but then also establishment Republicans, he can't articulate an agenda because anything that he says is going to alienate one of those groups. Right. So so he says, eh, you know, reporter asks him about it and he literally says, well, that's a very good question. What we'll do with our majority, you know, we'll we'll let you know when we take over. I mean, that is that is just like. That is just the epitome of hubris of of I don't I don't need to play those games anymore. Right. We're just going to take the majority and then we'll tell you what we're going to do. I mean, talk about just a I mean, load yeah, of crap. He, he, but then- he thought the polarized electorate and maybe some, you know, pointing to gas prices and if necessary, an immigrant caravan from Honduras. That would do the trick. Right, right, exactly. Exactly. No, no need to, to convince anybody that you're the better right. option. And so Rick Scott, who thinks, you know, he's like this alien being who thinks he's running for 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 president. I mean, maybe he is running for president, um, but, you know, he, he like drops in from Mars and he's like, hey, remember the old Republican Party where we wanted to get rid of Social Security and Medicare, which was deeply, deeply unpopular. And then also we wanted to raise taxes on the working people and give bigger <laughs> tax breaks to the really, 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 really rich people. Like that's us. That's us. That's what we're gonna do. <laughs> Here's a, here it is on paper. <laughs> right, right. And here it is on paper. I've got the, you know, my 11 point plan. And just in case it wasn't clear to everybody what I want to do, I want to go to back to those deeply unpopular policies that no one ever wanted, and I, we're gonna implement them if we get into office. And Mr. McConnell's like, oh God, no, no, we're not gonna do that. We're not gonna do that. Well, I mean, anyone getting the the message here that Mitch McConnell isn't running the caucus. I mean, really anything could happen if they manage to take the majority. Mitch McConnell is not in control of that caucus. And then you've got Lindsey Graham. He's like, well, you know, wait, wait. no so, one's- And I just want to, yeah. cause I don't know if we sure. made it clear. Rick Scott is in charge of the Republican effort to take the Senate. Yeah, yeah right. So exactly. It's not just he's- a random, not just a rando. Like he is, he's leading that effort. And so he released this, plan that literally said that everybody needed to have skin in the game and right. to do that everybody had to be taxed enough and there's this sort of weird and he wasn't belief. talking about the rich people just no. to be clear not he, the rich people he's under this belief this right-wing belief that 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 middle class and lower class people don't pay taxes of course they pay yeah. taxes and uh, and therefore that's why they're they're more friendly towards government programs and so therefore if by raising their taxes, they would then suddenly be more hostile to government spending. And then it was what the five year re um, uh, they're gonna, authorization yeah. for social security. And right. so every five years you'd have to fight to whether social security would still go on. And, and a, let's just, let's and just Democrats were like, this. yeah, this is Republicans, great. Republicans don't vote for anything other than right wing judges. I mean, they legit don't vote for anything. They cannot legislate. They voted for tax tax cuts for the rich and Republican judges. And other than that, they could barely keep the lights on when they were in charge, the Mm -hmm. government lights on when they were in charge. So there's no way they're going to be able to keep 
you know, to pass uh, legislation that keeps Social Security and Medicare on the books. So then you've got, you know, Lindsey Graham now. Yeah. Now now you've got Lindsey Graham. So there's not a there's so, you know, the vacuum of leadership continues. And Lindsey Graham says. I got an idea. This abortion thing is really not going over well. (laughs) So I, I got a I've got a great idea. Instead of just letting the states handle it, the whole states write things that we've been, you know, we've been kind of preaching for the better part of like, yeah, pretending, right? For the better part of, I don't know, 200 years or something like that. We, we, here's what we can do. We can go ahead and have a 15 week abortion ban. It's not a total abortion ban. It's not a heartbeat bill, quote unquote, the supposed heartbeat bill. It's not, you know, it's not a six week abortion ban. So it's 15 weeks. So they're like, it's not extreme. And let me just say, I have to get a little jab in here at old Linz, because this is how you know that that guy has never talked to a woman in his life. <laughs> I mean, Honest to God, 15 weeks is nothing. You barely know anything about what kind of abnormalities that, you know, that fetus might have, if it's viable, um, any number of things that might play into, you know, can you carry to term? Do you want to carry to term? You know, is this child going to have an just absolutely miserable life and then die like 24 hours later? Like, you don't know anything. He can't have possibly ever talked to a woman, let alone dated one. I mean, seriously. So, you know, I'm not... I'm not saying anything about Lindsey Graham necessarily. I'm just saying he doesn't know ladies. He doesn't know the ladies. I'm telling you. So anyway, there you go. That's, I mean, that's it. McConnell, then McConnell jumps out and says, oh no, oh no, we wouldn't take a vote on that. That's the the majority of my caucus is just wants to leave it to the state. Well, Lindsey Graham promised a vote on that. And, And I am just telling you, I'm reminding you because people are so prone to thinking that, Mitch McConnell is a master tactician who is going to, you know, round up the caucus and keep them doing what he wants them to do. He is not in control of that caucus. So if Senate Republicans take over Rick Scott's tax plan, Lindsey Graham's 15 week abortion ban. I mean, these are these are possibilities, you know, like we have no idea what they're going to do. Literally. Yeah. And and contextually, again, you know, just bring that broader context is Republicans have been trying to do everything in their power to not talk about Donald Trump and not talk about abortion. Right. Again, the meta meta narrative we knew was going to help Democrats hurt Republicans. They now they finally realize this. So they're trying to ignore both those topics. And it's about inflation, inflation, inflation. And, and um, well, of course, they're going to go racist where they can. So I know that like. Ron Johnson right now is running a bunch of super yeah. racist ads against Mandela Barnes in Lieutenant Governor De- uh, Mandela Barnes in um, in Wisconsin. So, you know, I mean, wherever they can pull out the race card, they're going to do it. So they wanted to. But even interestingly, Ron Johnson, who we know is a, you know, as far right wing on abortion as you can possibly be, even he's kind of like, I don't want to, you know, leave it to the states. No way he would leave it to the states. Of course he would vote for that bill, right? But he cannot say this out loud anymore. And so you have this this issue that has sort of sundered the Republican Party. Um, candidates that we know are are you know fetal personhood advocates Can- erasing abortion from their websites, right? From their w- websites, so, right? Blake and then, Masters. 
And then just what, five weeks from the election, here comes Lindsey Graham saying, no, we're going to supercharge <laughs> the discussion of abortion. We're going to make sure it's front and center on cable news and the right. talk circuit for the next week and maybe two. So this is, it, this is something that DC, DC operatives sometimes call a messaging bill, right? Where it's like, I mean, usually someone in the majority does it. They have a messaging bill that then they force, you know, the minority to take a, a, a you know, vote on it, um, even though it's not going to pass. Lindsey Graham kind of did his version of a messaging bill, only the messaging is not good for Republicans at all, like at all. So bad. Let me just run down real quick. You've got at least 14 Republicans sitting Senate Republicans right now who have already said, nope, I am against that 15 week abortion ban. Then of the people who are running in some of these uh, critical Senate races, you've got Herschel Walker, Marco Rubio, Ted Budd, um, who have said, we support this, right? But then in um, in Nevada, you've got Adam Laxalt, you've got J.D. Vance, and you've got um, in Ohio, and you've got Mehmet Oz in Pennsylvania, who are all dodging questions about it. So that's three Senate hopefuls dodging questions. And then you have people who have come out against it. Senator Ron Johnson used to be you know, super pro-life, but all of a sudden he's against the abortion ban because it's such bad politics. Um, New Hampshire candidate who's a, who, who is like a legit nut is, a, has Don, Don Baldick. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, but he, he said now that he's against that 14 week abortion ban and Joe Odea in Colorado, who's actually a little bit more m- mainstream. He said uh, he's against it. So, you know, this is completely like, it is just, it's ripped the party apart. That's how good this messaging bill was. Yeah. So that's that's <laughs> the, the that's the abortion prong of our meta narrative. Then there's Donald Trump who won't get off the stage. And just this oh, past God. weekend in Youngstown, it's not even that he's not getting off the stage anymore, Carrie. It's that it's descending into legitimate cult-like behavior. It's creepy. Yeah, it's creepy. It's so creepy. you had an audience, you had a crowd that that raised their hands with a one finger salute. Uh, so it's not Nazis because the Nazis had the full handout. No, they just had one <laughs> finger. So it's totally different. Wait, let me show you the difference. But this it, it, versus they, this. It is. <laughs> yeah, it's one finger versus five fingers. Totally, totally right. different. So it's and completely so, different situation. Completely I heard Not some creepy. people say, oh, it's it's evangelical because in evangelical churches, they'll point to God. It's like, OK, it's Donald Trump on stage. This does not make it any better. I exactly. get in a church like situation, if you're worshiping a deity, a deity here, you're worshiping Donald Trump. That is cult like behavior. He is Other their people- messiah. He is their messiah. It's true. Yeah. Other people said, oh, well, it's actually the symbol of uh, QAnon. Where one goes, we go all. So it's the one. Right. And OK, it might even be all related. Right. Because it, they draw from the same from the same cesspool of humanity, QAnon and uh, parts of that evangelical movement. So whether it's QAnon, whether it's worshiping Trump as literally as as their Jesus or if it's some kind of weird Nazi-like, I mean, no matter how you it look at that, and they There's sat no- there while they they played this 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 dirge of a theme, this this dark foreboding foreboding 
instrumental music in the background as Trump did his, you know, he does that weird sing song thing that he thinks is so, I don't, I don't know. He, he thinks it works. Cute. And, but he's like, there would be no Donald, there would be no Vladimir Putin if I was president and there would be, and it, it goes on for like 10 minutes and people with their raised hands with the finger thing. It is, it is and chilling. Now, Carrie, Wait, it was can a I lot- just say that, that that anthem that they played there, though, it's very deliberate. It was almost indecipherable from a QAnon anthem. Like yeah. it's it sounds almost exactly the same it, as as like the main QAnon anthem, which I have to say I've I had never heard. I still haven't ever heard. I mean, um, but I it, yeah, it's dark. And then Walter, our producer, says that in the right behind them was his JFK Jr. lookalike that QAnon thinks is alive and exists and it's we weird those pointed fingers do we have pointed fingers pictures i don't know if our producer was able to pull those up or not do we have creepy finger pictures walter <laughs> so it, it's oh there yeah. it is there it is yeah they're all some, pointing yeah. towards donald trump they're all sort of like yeah, yeah. either yeah they're they're pointing to heaven god donald trump so it's um it's it's disturbing and and Carrie, I was I was a lot more disturbed until we saw pictures of what the the uh, arena looked like, and it was a relatively small arena, seats about ten thousand people, and about half of it was empty. And so they packed these pictures; they make it look like there's a lot of people. Uh, there's a few thousand, so it's not an insignificant number. But it's not the campaigns were still selling out stadiums. Like mm, they're. They're not selling out stadiums. It's it's interesting because you talk about that fading brand earlier on, and he used to pack the you know stadiums, and now he and maybe if he's running for president, he will again. So that there, to be in all fairness, it's you never it's, know. Yeah, but it, it is kind of surprising that for somebody who's so into that ador- you know adoration of the big crowds that he is actually struggling to to draw those big crowds to the point where they're, they're moving the stage to the front third of the stadium. So it right. looks like there's a lot of people in that, in that corner and people are saying right. it's about half full. I looked at the pictures and, and maybe it's my own cope uh, as you know, an anti-Trump liberal, but it, it looked like less than half of the stadium for sure. Well, I tell you what, in- this is the, what, what is, what is frightening about this is that this is he at, at, at the moment, Okay, I I can't speak for six months from now or a year from now, but at the moment, he's less of a electoral threat than he is like a domestic terror threat. Right. That group of people, some of them, I mean, they're I'm not convinced that they think that voting is the the means to an end that, you know, the, the. Cults don't get together and say, let's go vote. I mean, that's not what people who are members of cults do. They are ready to put their body on the line for, you know, their person, their chosen person, whoever that is. And he is playing to this group of extremely disturbed people who, you know, think that he's the Messiah, you know, he's fighting pedophilia, whatever. It doesn't really matter what they think, but what they are they are they are not um, you know they are not organizing to go vote and like get more people more voters. No, no, they're 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 they're, they're, they're 
the type of people who show up at the FBI office in Ohio, you know, in what was it, Cincinnati or something like that. They're yeah. the people who show up Data at, restricts. you know, a pizza place. Right. They're the right. And so even though that was a small group of pe- a smallish group of people, um, it's worth noting that like it took it took a couple ten few tens of thousands of people to show up in Washington, D.C. and like nearly shut and shut down our government for, you know, a dozen hours and, you know, nearly stage an actual coup. So so, you know, this, these these are dangerous individuals. I mean, this is a this is a dangerous it's a desperate it's a desperate effort by Donald Trump, who I think has has been damaged by the January 6th committee, who is under multiple investigations, I think six investigations, several of which are criminal, um, who also has, you know, people like Ron DeSantis nipping at his heels politically. So he's in political and legal trouble. This is a desperate move by him, but it's it doesn't mean that it's not a dangerous move. Oh, it's dangerous. And he actually he's, he repeated at that Youngstown rally that threat that if if the FBI, um, if, if there's indictments by the Justice Department, that it'll create problems for the country. And I forget the words he used, but the, the intent is obviously very clear. Right. If, if I'm indicted, then it's time to rise up. That was that was the right. message. And there's no doubt that when the time comes when he is indicted, and I, I believe he will be, that that there will be outbreaks of violence. I don't. I think it takes a lot for somebody to cross that line. And so I don't think it'll be widespread, but I think there will be sporadic um, incidences. And, and this is, he is a dangerous individual. And, and even if he can't draw the big crowd, he was able to get most of his people elected in, in contested primaries. That's and right. Liz Cheney is lost by 30 points in Wyoming. Right. So this is this is a, a dangerous person, and he may be a brand in decline. I don't know if we're ready to quite declare that just yet, but there are vultures, and Ron DeSantis is a vulture. And, and Ron DeSantis just, what, he just shipped a bunch of immigrants to Martha's Vineyard, and Donald Trump was crying and whining. That was his idea. Ron DeSantis stole my idea. This isn't somebody who's like, what's best for America, right? Like me and you, Carrie, if we come up with a policy to, let's say, forgive student debt, for a, you know, a subset of students, and it happens, we're excited. We're not like, that was our idea. Why, why did he steal our idea? Like, no, it's, 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 this is like, if you really are in it for, for the right reasons, you're like, yeah, yeah. I, I advocate. Then you're just for happy it. for people. You're like and happy. I'm, and I'm glad that somebody finally made it happen. Yeah. But new. Yeah. New. yeah. So, so no, Ron I mean, and Craig well, Abbott. Can, can you tell can you tell me something real quick? How is that playing for Ron DeSantis in Florida? I mean, but particularly, you know, Florida's got a, a very diverse electorate. Um, you know, what do you what do you think? How do you think that's playing for him now? Well, Florida is is one of the most complicated Latino communities. It's large, right? But it's it's very politically bifurcated. You have Democratic leaning Latinos, which are Small number of Mexican Americans, large number of Puerto Ricans, and there are Republican-leaning Latinos that that mostly, if not all, hail from countries with with uh, with dictatorial, despotic regimes. So Cuba, Nicaragua, Venezuela, and so those communities are, are large, and they're all they're all Republican-leaning. 
And they're very, very, they, they really bite on the idea of communism, right? So when Trump walked around, the communists this and Democrats are communists, like the, it, it triggered something in their brain and they came out big for him. So it really, really worked. These immigrants that were just, uh, that were just flown to Martha's Vineyard at a huge cost. I think it was like $40,000 per immigrant. So it was, it was a bit of a scam. Somebody, and these somebody are, hum- and these are human beings. These are yeah. human beings. Right. Um, they're being preyed upon because they're, you know, they're, yeah. they're big chunk of them were Venezuelan. So a big Ugh. chunk of them were Venezuelan. So he was actually he actually just punched his own his own core Latino base, DeSantis, that is, mm-hmm. in the face. And they are furious and they're very tight with the Cubans. They're very it's a very unified because, you know, Latinos generally overall in the United States are very liberal and democratic. So they, the, the conservative ones, they stick together. And so the Cuban community is actually, you know, I was just reading, you know, somebody saying this is just like something Fidel Castro would do. And never mind, it doesn't really make sense because I don't know why Fidel Castro would fly people to Martha's Vineyard, right? But when they could think of the worst thing, they they could think of what was happening, like their, their devil, the, you know, their boogeyman is Fidel Castro, right? For them, it's like, that's a Fidel Castro thing. That doesn't have to make sense. It just really speaks to that sentiment. Like the outrage is, is very, very central and core to that community. So I, I've noticed this, Carrie, that, that all these Republican stunts, they're, they're falling flat for, for the first time ever. Like they're, they're, they're really having a hard time setting narratives and creating these fake outrages. And so right now, DeSantis is really on the defensive. Uh, Lindsey Graham is on the defensive. Like all these people thought that Fox News would celebrate them in Breitbart and, and that they would be the glorious heroes. And they're not really getting that. And it's, it's a real change of, uh, of um, just fortunes. Yeah, and I, I don't. I'm not quite sure yet what exactly is going on. But even, I mean, even the the press try to make a big deal out of Joe Biden flying to vote in Delaware. I mean, like, why didn't he vote absentee? Because maybe he wanted the, to freaking vote in his state. The, that was the dumbest controversy. I mean, it, I was, I was on, I was on, you know, leave while that happened, and I was like, man, I cannot believe they are wasting breath on this. Anyway, but. In, you know, maybe even a couple of years ago, that would have probably dominated and Fox News would have ran with it and it would have been a big deal. And it, it got squashed really hard. And maybe Twitter's a big part of it. There's a there's more energy on the liberal side to really smack down people um, before these 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 narratives take charge. The the Republican pushback against the student loan forgiveness. I mean, that was freaking masterful. A couple of years ago, that would have gotten a lot of traction. This time, just pointing out the PPP loans that had been forgiven, you know, yeah, to the credits squashed and, you know, that debt. Let's let's give the White House credit for that because they had that ready to go. They had that that pushback queued up and ready to go right from the White House, uh, the White House Twitter account. So that was impressive. So it, it's a much different. And I even, um, you know, was watching Joe Biden's account, making fun of uh, Ron DeSantis. Ron DeSantis did some stunt at the White House. Uh, and the White House actually smacked them back. And I don't remember the details, but it was it was funny. Like you don't see this sort of aggressiveness on the on the liberal Democratic side. And I think those days are over and that this is now becoming more of, of the norm. And, and so Republicans are, are like flailing. They don't, they're attacking each other. They, they're, they're throwing these narratives that are getting smacked down and they're 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 absolutely flailing. And so this is uh, it's. We are in uncharted territory. The meta meta narrative stays the same, Carrie. 
Abortion, the most important issue this cycle. We see that in the polling. We see that in election results. Donald Trump is secondary. And and I I would say like 60-30 abortion to Donald Trump. But there's that 10% of intangibles. And that's where, you know, whether it's Rick Scott's plan to have to vote on Social Security every four years and raise taxes for everybody, whether it's Ron DeSantis's cruel stunts with immigrants, like all these little things are just reinforcing that broader narrative that says these people are not serious. They're beholden to, to they're extremists. Dangerous. They're dangerous, right? They're dangerous. For and democracy. they're dangerous. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just, on that note, you know, after this cult-like, you know, appearance that, that Trump made in, in Youngstown, Ohio, I haven't heard a single Republican speak up and say, that's not the America I want to be in. That's not that's not the democracy I'm living in. I haven't heard anyone after he, you know, I mean, these QAnon people are like they legit traffic and just super crazy stuff. And, you know, it's I, I can't even I haven't even gone down the full rabbit hole because it's just too depressing, frankly. But um, but, you know, they're they're not they're not they're they're election deniers. They're people who believe that Donald Trump should be reinstated They're And, you know, there should be Republicans who say, look, this is not this is not our party. We're not the party of QAnon. Yeah, that was Liz Cheney. (laughs) That was Liz Cheney. That was Liz Cheney. Yeah, right. (laughs) So that's where we are. Carrie, that is our show today. But this is really where we are. And I think it's important for everybody to realize that we have an opportunity here to to really do something special and to just absolutely throw away what history normally does on a midterm election. We are in the game. We are competitive. But it's going to be an incredibly close election all around the board. And so it's imperative that everybody do absolutely everything they Can, can. Yeah. Can can I add something? Please. Just on that on that note is that, you know, one thing that we forget to think about is what a crushing blow it would be to, you know, quote unquote, mainstream mainstream Republicans, if they still exist, to get whooped this November. Right. In 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 an election where they thought they were going to coast and, you know, coast to the election get a red wave, take over, investigate Joe Biden, all this stuff that they were going to do, right? You know, block all his his judicial nominees, all that stuff. In an election where they took that for granted, it would just, it should destroy them. It should destroy the notion that they can get away with pandering to Trump and his, you know, and his tribe in order to win elections. So it, dealing that we, we were hoping we could deal that blow to them in 2020. We didn't quite do it. We won the presidency, but we didn't quite deal deal that death blow to them. We, we if we were able to keep both chambers, it would just be a gut punch that hopefully would be, you know, something that could finally wake up, you know, people like Mitch McConnell who think they can just have their cake and eat it too. They can just like, let Donald Trump exist and, you know, get his votes, but like not, you know, the, the, the playing with fire that they're doing, we, we need to destroy the Republicans in an election where they thought they were going to just coast to, to victory. And that, that is some, if we could do that this November, I mean, it's not just about us, like keeping the chambers. It is about that, but it's about something bigger, which would just be like 
blowing apart the Republican coalition so that the mainstream Republicans who exist, the pro-democracy Republicans who exist, and they do exist, they're just like a small group, know, realize, hey, we got to rebuild. Like we can't, this coalition isn't going to get it done. We keep losing ground and losing ground and losing ground. Carrie, I'm so glad you're back from maternity leave. <laughs> yeah, bring that. Bring it. <laughs> so thanks, everybody. Thank you, Carrie. Thanks to Walter, um, uh, who produces the show. Thanks to Kara and Paul and Dorothy, who help out on the back end. And thanks to you, the reader, viewer, listener, who are part of this movement to hopefully destroy <laughs> the modern Republican Party right. and also expand our democracy. Things like DC That's statehood. Right. These are what this is what's on the ballot. And if they win, it's dark. So I'm pointing point at you guys. I'm pointing at you guys, not Donald Trump. I'm pointing at you guys. Yeah, but you gotta do a stiff arm. Stiff arm, because then it's really extra creepy. Thanks everybody. See you all next week. Thank you for listening. If you're enjoying the show, give us a rating wherever you get your podcast. You can always talk to us at dailycoast.com or on Twitter at Daily Coast. See you next week.